0: You are the first black woman to travel to every country in the world.
1: That's the thing that happened. Isn't it crazy?
0: (laughs) It's crazy how quickly you did it.
1: Yes, I agree. It is crazy. And and actually, in terms of like the Guinness record, I was moving at a snail's pace. So um, I think the Guinness record right now is like 18 months to do all 195. And I did 135 new countries in two and a half years. Okay. This is my uh, first podcast in like forever. <laughs>
0: Uh, Jessica Navango, welcome to the women. I love when people introduce themselves. I'd love to hear how how you say what you do and who you are, why it's important to you.
1: So I would say my name is Jessica Navango. I am an American-born Ugandan. Uh, I'm a travel expert. I'm a writer, photographer, entrepreneur. But most importantly, I am a lover and liver of life.
0: Jessica Nabongo and I were first introduced by a fellow podcast friend, Aminatu Sao. Shout out to her podcast, Call Your Girlfriend. And I, along with more than 200,000 people, have followed Jessica's journey. Jessica was raised in Detroit and she is the first black woman to travel to every country in the world. Now, less than 300 people have done that and less than 30 women have visited all 195 countries. Jessica is a writer and a photographer and runs a boutique travel agency, Jet Black. She has documented almost every aspect of her quest, the highs and the lows, from crystal blue waters in Indonesia, warm and welcoming strangers in Sudan, gorgeous markets in Morocco, and she's captured the other side, difficult border crossings, sad moments at airports, and other travel fails. But I think what Jessica's journey really reveals are bigger questions. How do we set goals for ourselves? And how do we go after what we really want? Who are we when we're alone or in places that we never expected to be? And what parts of our histories or earlier versions of ourselves do we take with us? And after a year of living in quarantine, it seems appropriate that the women travel. And I figured there was no one better to do that with than Jessica Nabongo. Welcome to The Women. I'm your host, Rose Reed. In every episode, I follow one woman's journey to do the extraordinary. And Jessica has done just that. When you were in Indonesia with your friend, country number 60, and you decided, I'm going to go to every single country in the world by my 35th birthday, you decided to go to 195 countries within three years. Has your conversation and your mind with your friend changed over time as you've gone through that journey? Like the way you remember that conversation, has it changed?
1: Yeah, it's interesting because I asked her about this in 2019 because, you know, I talked about it so much. I was like, do you remember how did it actually go? And apparently the conversation was, I said, I want Oprah to interview me. And she was like, why would Oprah interview you? And I was like, I don't know. but I'm going to figure something out. Because I felt like I hadn't done anything unique. You know, okay, I went to LSE. I went to St. John's. I had a great career. I'd worked for the UN. I'm like, but there's tons of other people who've done those same exact things. But I hadn't done anything unique. And so I had learned about an American woman who got the Guinness record for doing it the fastest. And I was like, I'm going to become the first black woman to travel to every country in the world. And I had always wanted to go to every country in the world, but I didn't know there was like a whole country counting community. And so that's why I decided. So apparently it was all about me finding a way for Oprah to interview me. So Oprah, (laughs) if you're listening, it's time.
0: (laughs) She's ready for her close up. (laughs) Yes. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> you finished all 195 countries. Have you found the need or desire to replace your goal setting or your identity?
1: Oh, that's interesting. Um, identity, not so much. Goal in in some ways. So I love projects. I love project management. So visiting every country in the world for me was a huge logistical project, right? Like it was, okay, I have to, you know, and I had support, but it was, okay, I need to buy flights. Okay. How many days here? Mapping everything out. And it got overwhelming at times, but it was definitely a project and it required project management. And that's something that I thrive in. And, you know, and it gave me something to focus on. And so what I've realized about myself over time is that I like to have projects that I can focus on versus like doing the same thing over an extended amount of time. Um, so it's not like now I'm like, oh, now I'm going to visit every territory. It's nothing like that. I think now my project, I know now my project is um, my book that I'm working on.
0: And and what is your book about?
1: So my book is going to be 100 stories of 100 countries, and it's going to include photography as well. Um And it's interesting because I'm like, this is my coming out party because the world doesn't really know me as a photographer, but I've been doing photography since 2005. So I'm really excited. Uh, I'm working with National Geographic and I'm really excited just to show all of these images uh, because it's gonna be new work of mine for many people, even though some of the images are like 10 years old.
0: (laughs) You know, photography is one of the ways that I feel that you've not only captured where you've been, but you capture what it means to be there, whether that's going to a place like North Korea, where every single person is like, wait, you can go to North Korea, mm-hmm. to going to on vacation to Haiti, where some people are like, wait, can you go on vacation to Haiti? Mm-hmm. And and then also, um, being, you know, a mermaid in the water, whether it's swimming with dolphins, swimming with whales, or just being by yourself in an expansive Caribbean sea, like as far as the, a drone can see.
1: Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> I feel like you, um, one of the things that you've talked about is images of, of, of seeing you and all of these different places in the way that's really impacted how people not only think of these places, but think of their capabilities, yeah, their as- boundaries.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think, imagery was imperative to this journey and to the effect that this journey had on other people. You know, a lot of people haven't seen inside of North Korea from sort of an apolitical entity. Right. So any documentary that happens, it's- I mean, I haven't. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's like a documentary is typically going to be politicized, um, journalism obviously has bias depending on the outlet that you're writing for there is some sense of bias for me i'm just like you know i'm just here to explore the world i'm here to ask questions i'm just here to see what's going on i don't i try not to go into any country with any preconceived notion or any expectation i'm just like Hey guys, I'm here. What's going on? Let me ask you a million questions. It can get annoying, but I learned so much and then I'm able to share what I learned. And such an important part of it is the imagery of seeing that because people are like, well, what does this look like? You know, the images of me in Haiti, people never could have imagined that Haiti had amazing beaches that like the ones that I've shown. Even though it's on the same island as the Dominican Republic, which is the largest recipient of travelers in the Caribbean, no one assumes, oh, Haiti is also beautiful because it's the same mass, you know, in the same body of water. So I'm really just grateful for not only the opportunity to travel, but for my eye for photography and, and buying that drone, man, that, the drone changed the game.
0: <laughs> it really did, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of the photos that you've taken, um, totally disrupted my pre, my preconceived notions of places. I've been following your journey since we were first introduced by a mutual friend, Amina Sau, and you, I just want to th- uh, recall one image. It's of you on a skinny strip of beach with, um, emerald green water on either side of you and it's Venezuela. Yep. And it made me challenge my own notions about why do I why did I think this about Venezuela? Why did I think that it was unsafe to go there? I've been to Colombia, Panama all around. It was easy and fun and people open like opened their doors to me whether it was a motor bus, their home, a restaurant, a pit stop. And yet it's their neighbor is, you know, totally has a different storyline. And yet like your the the photos you've been able to capture of where you've gone and really of yourself immersed there and really the beauty and the happiness that you seem to authentically experience really dislodges some of those notions. And I think especially um, of places like Venezuela or um, other or, or in a time like right now where like travel is like caution, caution, caution. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, um, I think the trip to Venezuela was definitely one of my favorites, um, not only because I was able to change people's minds and what like I'm getting, I'm getting so much at all, because a lot of Venezuelans actually commented and said, thank you for showing me my country because a lot of them hadn't been there in so long. And so it was just, you know, number one, I was grateful to have the opportunity to see different parts of Venezuela um the the video that you're talking about it was taken or the image it was taken in Los Roques which phenomenal islands just north of Caracas but I also got to spend time in Caracas I got to talk to people and I learned so much about the country um you know a lot is going on there it's very difficult for a lot of people, but there's still so much joy and so much beauty. And I think that's what I always try to show in every country, like in South Sudan. Um, someone connected me with someone who worked for the United States uh, Embassy there previously. And he's like, you shouldn't go there. Like US you know warns that you shouldn't go to Juba or whatever. And I'm just like, Anyway, <laughs> I didn't ask you that. I asked if you had recommendations. And I went to South Sudan. A friend connected me with a local person. Um, and I, like We had such a phenomenal time. We spent time hanging out on the Nile in a village. Uh, we hung out in a cattle camp, which is something I wanted to do. And my friends who were from there that I met there, they'd never done that. And so... What's been interesting as well along the journey is that the people I'm meeting in these countries, when I hang out with them, I'm also helping them to have new experiences in their own countries, because it's not often we're tourists in our own countries. And so I think South Sudan was another amazing, um, amazing trip where people were trying to send me warnings, like, don't go, don't go. Uh, but I had such an incredible time. It's one of my favorite trips today.
0: I think this is one of the myths. I mean, a, a lot of your work is busting myths, whether that's about travel, whether that's about taboo topics like our periods, or whether that's busting myths about, um, is it, is it quote unquote safe? Or where can women travel? Where mm-hmm. can people travel solo? Where can black people travel? Mm-hmm. I think that you're a big part of your work is busting myths.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And it's really... Beyond that, I just try to normalize everything that is normal, right? Like a Black person shouldn't, in my opinion, have to Google, oh, what is it like for Black people in Lithuania? I don't do that. I just go. So I hope that, you know, having conversations like these and people just seeing me, I hope they feel comfortable just going. Our periods, hello. Humanity would not exist without us having a period. So you know, I I remember one time I was with my sister and her best friend, and um, we were at a restaurant. And I was like, "Oh, does anyone have a tampon?" And you know, she goes in her purse and she puts it in her hand. Oh my god, that like... is me. That
0: is me. That <laughs> and she's that is like me.
1: trying to put it in my hand, and I'm like, and I snatch it from her. And we're in conversation, so I just put it on the table. And she's like, "Girl, take that off the table." And I'm like. It's not a dirty tampon. It's like, it's still in plastic. Like, why do I have to hide it? Every man knows that I have a period and that you have a period. And so, you know, the um, hashtag catch me on my period, which is my series on Instagram. It started from a conversation a girlfriend and I were having in Ghana. And we were talking about fibroids and how so many women suffer from fibroids. And they don't know because we don't talk about our periods. That is so, so
0: so apt. So apt.
1: Like I've always had a ridiculously heavy and painful period. And I thought that's what your period is because it's mine. So it's normal to me. So for now I'm like, oh, my period was abnormal. How would I know that my period is abnormal? It's normal for me. So the conversations we've had, I don't even know how many we've had at this point, but it's just been so rich. I started using my cup because of those conversations. Older women have commented saying, Wow, we would never talk about this. I can't believe you guys are talking about it. So many people have learned so many things and and I love that we can now have the conversation openly.
0: You know, one of the things that I think that has been paramount on your journey is not just posting your photography, but posting images of black joy. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about that, and maybe about some of the feedback that you got along the way over the last decade.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I live in my own little bubble, (laughs) <laughs> I don't watch the news. Uh I remember distinctly on inauguration day in 2017 I deleted every news app from my phone. Um I yeah, I live in blissful ignorance, truly. The thing is, um you know, when the George Floyd video came out, I n- I've never seen it. Uh there's a lot of videos yeah. and images of black pain that I've never been privy to cuz I'm not interested. You know, and it's not to say that I'm, you know, I don't want to know it's happening. I know it's happening. We know that when you travel within the African continent, there are poor people. Okay, why do I need to add to that chorus? You know, for me, I talk a lot about responsible storytelling. I want to show images of people who are dignified. I want to show images that are respectful. Imagine someone comes and takes a picture of you on your worst day and then posts it on social media for the entire world to see. What would that make you feel like? So much of what I'm doing is saying, hey, stop exoticizing people. The only one who's the foreigner is you, the traveler. So don't come into my space and act like, oh, you're such an exotic thing. No, I'm not, I'm normal. They're normal, you're normal, we're all normal. It's the foreigner who is abnormal in that space. And so for me, that's why a lot of the pictures that I take, like for example, in my portraits that I shoot, the people are looking at the camera because I've asked them their permission to take their picture. I always say I, I don't steal people's images. Now, if it's a streetscape, of course, I just take the picture and I don't ask for every single person's permission. But if I'm in your face taking your image or I want that close-up shot, I want to have your permission to take that photo. I want you to prepare yourself as you see fit. And I want to share those images of you looking dignified. And, you know, it does result in these beautiful images of Black joy because, you know, it's important for me to capture, but also I feel like when I'm interacting with people, hopefully I'm bringing them joy and they're bringing me joy. And that's why that's what the result is.
0: You shared a story, and I'm paraphrasing, in 2019, which also was the year that you finished your travel, it was the year of their return. In Ghana, they welcomed people to come back. You know, I think that a lot of people have learned a lot more about this history with the 1619 Project. Um, Can you add some details around that?
1: Yeah. um, First of all, like, Shout out to the Ghanaian government. Their president is absolutely phenomenal. I mean, what he did in terms of driving business, driving travel and tourism to that country in 2019, absolutely amazing. And the country is so much better because of it.
0: Such a good point. Even my father, a sixth generation white guy in Georgia, said to me, You know, I really want to add Ghana to our list for you and me to do. And I would love as a Southerner to go and see where this story began. Oh my God, I love
1: that. And to know that it affected your father, a white Southerner, like that's incredible. And I think, you know... Ghana is a case study for the rest of the continent like they they did it flawlessly you know there there's so many conversations and initiatives happening um now obviously 2020 the lost year um wasn't great but there there's still a lot of conversations they're having around like okay what do we do now and I saw that this December a lot of people went again and so I just think As someone who's worked in international development for years, like it's just a beautiful thing to see them taking the government, taking charge and really making a difference for the country. Um, But as far as being there in December, firstly, I feel like we broke the world because we had such a good time and (laughs) we'll never be able to like be outside there. I mean, there were tens of thousands of people. I'm sure it was over 100,000 people. And it was like, it was amazing. So we broke the universe. Sorry, you guys. Um, But a young lady came up to me during that trip and she said to me, oh my God, the reason I'm here is because of you. And I was just like, what? whoa, okay, wow, that's incredible. And you know, the most humbling part of the journey has been the DMs and the emails and everything that I've gotten from people all over the world and not just black women, people in Indonesia, in India, um, Solomon Islands, literally all over the world, Brazil, um, Venezuela, Colombia saying like, wow, thank you because of what you're doing, I feel like I can do it too. Um, And I also think it just goes to show it's not like, representation is important and trust me, I want to see more people who look like me on TV and everywhere else, but we can also be affected by people who don't look like us. And I think, you know, I get really frustrated with like marketing and um, the fashion industry in particular. Um, not just fashion, all the industries, (laughs) where there's this idea of like, if they use a black model, or if they center a black influencer, somehow, their other customers will be turned off, you know, and I really want us to move away from that. Because it's like, if I'm luxuriating at the Four Seasons, there is no reason that a white woman should look at that picture and feel like, oh, now it's gone to the blacks or something like that. You know what I mean? It should just be like, oh, wow, this you know, Four Seasons Maui looks amazing. I want to go luxuriate like this, you know? So I think so much of it is, it is normalizing me, normalizing my blackness, but also normalizing the fact that we can be inspired and influenced by people who don't look like us.
0: You started your travel as a very young person, your parents took you and your sisters to so many places and instilled not just the travel, but the joy of travel in you. And your father gave you advice for traveling. Um, Can you share that with us?
1: This is gonna be the name of my memoirs. Um, He used to always say, don't pack more than you can carry. Because my mom notoriously always had a ton of luggage and obviously he would have to carry it. And I just remember one day he was so mad and he was like, don't pack more than you can carry. And so it resonated with me in that I don't often ask people for help when I have my luggage in airports just because I feel like, nope, if I packed it, I need to be able to carry it. And you'll see me like rolling like three bags, but I'm rolling it on my own. Um, But, you know, in my my older years now, (laughs) I take that to sort of be advice for life, like don't pack more than you can carry, whether it's going into a new friendship, a new relationship, a new job, like don't bring that extra baggage. Um, don't bring anything that's gonna weigh you down or that you're gonna struggle to move forward with. Um, just really let let things go and just really pack the essentials.
0: Your father, uh, you've talked about, um, passed away uh, from gun violence mm-hmm. and I wanted to offer my condolences and ask you how you have navigated over the past decade remembering a person's life and coming to peace with um, a violent death.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I was only 19 and I had only been 19 for two days. It, It happened two days after my 19th birthday. And I mean, you know, in many ways, I'm like, oh. Why didn't I get to know him as an adult? Like there, you know, I think like, oh, what would he say about this? Like actually say, people are like, oh, of course he's proud of I'm like, okay, whatever. Like, I want to know what would he have actually said about me doing this? Um, he always wanted me to go to Oxford and I went to the London School of Economics. So I'm like, oh, what would he have said about me choosing LSE and, you know, not doing Oxford? So for me, I've definitely relied on the few memories that I have and really there's so much gratitude in how both of my parents raised us and like the childhood that I had and the access to the world that my parents gave me and 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 them never putting boundaries up so i know that the life that i'm living now is purely a consequence of the efforts and hard work that my parents put forth you know they moved from uganda to the us obviously to have a better life um and, and I'm so grateful. I'm always so grateful because I know the only reason I'm doing anything I'm doing now is because my parents gave me the world's longest leash <laughs> with which to hang myself. And um, so in that way, you know, I try to honor my parents how I can. I try to do as much for my mom as I can now I just bought her a car <laughs>
0: congratulations so, a Cadillac yeah. right
1: yes I bought her a Cadillac <laughs> that's not
0: just a car Jessica <laughs> I that's a caddy is a caddy is a caddy
1: right
0: <laughs> smooth is better yes I
1: mean- my mom
0: also drives a Cadillac <laughs>
1: I love that. And you know, it's one of those things as a child, I think that's like the first thing, right? You're like, I want to buy my parent a car. And so- I know.
0: Mary Kay had a big impact on us, I think. Oh,
1: right. The Mar- <laughs> the
0: Mary Kay car.
1: Right. And her, her best friend actually does Mary Kay. Um, and has a pink Cadillac. Um, So, yeah, you know, it's like I'm always and I'm also like my parents invested in me. Right. Like they put us in private schools. They spent a lot of money on extracurricular activities they've done so much. So now I'm like, I owe my mom. I don't owe her, but I'm grateful to be able to do things for her uh, nowadays. And that's the way that I honor her for her efforts. And in the same token, I'm honoring my father for his efforts as well.
0: And a huge part of your travels hasn't just been going to these places, but actually literally in transit. Mm-hmm. And so I know you've had to do a lot of negotiating just for yourself, you know, from an ear infection in Barbados that curbed your scuba diving certification. I'm so sorry to bring this up to, you know, getting really sick from from high altitude. Um, you know, you've had to really roll with the punches, you um, And I'm wondering if you can maybe talk about that a little bit more. I mean, of course, I'm trying to get a scene of like you crying on the floor and then getting up, but you can (laughs) use that however you want.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God. That damn ear infection almost took me out. I'm really sorry. Like, it's so crazy. So I got it. It's no
0: joke. It's It's, no joke.
1: It's no joke. I was like, am I a five-year-old child? Because I got it in Barbados. It really actualized in St. Vincent which is where I was supposed to go diving and I remember I was in this like beautiful place and I was just like I have to have my ear amputated has anyone ever had their ear (laughs) it was so painful and then like I got medicine and whatever the thing that keeps coming back is resilience people think to get to every country in the world oh just buy a bunch of tickets no, you have to be so resilient. So many people told me I, they would not give me visas and I would refuse to leave embassies. I'm like, mm, no, I need my visa because I'm on this journey and you're not going to mess that up for me. Um, Afghanistan was, I wouldn't say it was a difficult visa to get, but I had to sit in the embassy for about three hours to convince them to give me the, the
0: visa. Was it like a convincing argument or just that they saw your persistence for real?
1: Well, here's here's the thing. I know a lot about people because I interact with so many different types of people all over. I the mean, world.
0: you have your Malcolm Gladwell hours. Let's just put it that way.
1: <laughs> yes. Oh, I definitely <laughs> have. I put in my ten thousand hours. It was funny because at the embassy I saw one person who wanted to help
0: me. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. And once
1: I saw one person wanted to help me, I said, Oh, we've got this in the bag. Now it's just about convincing a couple others, but it wasn't that everyone said no. And ultimately what I did was I said, look, I'm going to write a letter that absolves the government, the, um, the government of the Islamic Republic of Afghanistan for any, um, for any, like, like I basically said they had no, what did I, What I'm like, now what did I write? they had no liability over my safety, essentially. I basically removed all of that liability through this signed document. And because of that, then they let me go and they gave me the visa. And it was an amazing experience. And the people at the border, because we ended up walking from Uzbekistan and the people at the border were like, (laughs) what's going on? Because it was me and a guy friend of mine who's also black and he's very muscular. And they were like, what is going on? So at the border the immigration were like taking pictures with us. And it it was an amazing, it was really an amazing trip. Like Afghanistan is definitely high on my list to get back to. No country in the world is completely safe and no country in the world is completely unsafe. Like I am black in America. I have had a cop put a gun in my face, point blank range. Um, You know, so who am I to go and tell anyone that their country is dangerous? You know, when I know the reality uh, that exists here in America. So, so yeah.
0: How old were you when that happened? Oh, I
1: think that was... I think it was 2009 or 2012. So, somewhere in my mid to late 20s. Did,
0: did you ever legally pursue that case?
1: No. Miami police are super racist. And, um, you know, at the end of the day... I imagine that if I went to file a report they'd be like but he didn't shoot you so what are you here for you know and the cop said to me when I when everything calmed down and I said to him I'm like why would you pull a gun out on me you know cuz he they essentially thought we were breaking into my friend's house and he said well we shoot first ask questions later so oh if the God. cop feels like he can say that to me there's a reason he feels that way he's emboldened And this was, yeah, either 2009 or 2012, so pre all of this. So imagine, like, yeah, to me, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go down to police headquarters and waste my time for what? No, I'm not gonna do
0: that. I'm sorry to hear about that. Yeah,
1: it's, you know, uh, so many, so many people have stories like that. I'm just, you know, I'm lucky that I was able to calm him down so that he didn't shoot me in my face.
0: One of the ways that you've navigated the expenses is by doing a combination of Um, getting sponsorship, paying for it yourself using points, um, doing a myriad of things. So for example, in Azerbaijan, I think it cost you $83.09. Some of it was because you bought a flight with points and uh, your Four Seasons sponsored your hotel. Your um, trip to Libya for two nights was $1,096.19. How has transparency been a part of this journey for you? Mm
1: -hmm. Oh, I love that. Um, I've been super transparent. Because, look, I'm not here to showcase a lifestyle that feels unattainable. Now, of course, it's going to feel unattainable to some people, but not because of my lack of transparency. You know what I mean? There's other factors at play. But to me, I have no issue showing how much things cost. I have no issue saying, hey... I mean, a friend had to convince me, but saying, hey, I'm broke. I can't finish my journey. Would you guys like to donate? I was so afraid to do that. But then I did it and over 200 people donated $28,000. I would, you know, I wouldn't have been able to finish when I did if I didn't have that. You know, I I used up my credit cards and as a result, I had a ton of points. Um, You know, I, I had hotel partners And I really was just crafty. I was like, this is a thing that I want to do. There's a lot of money in the world. I know that other people are getting paid more to do less. So let me figure out what I need to do to be able to access some of this. And that's what I was able to do. I mean, not as much as I wish I could have because I spent so much of my own personal money and I had debt as well. and, you know, the, and I'll, I'll be frank, the frustrating part is I know if I was a white woman, it would have all been paid for. Even if I was a white man, it would have all been paid for. Because I have friends who got most of their stuff sponsored and they had smaller followings than me, less engagement than me, but they had whiteness on their side. And so they were able to get everything paid for in a way that I wasn't. And I'm like, what? Like, I'm here, I'm, I'm taking these amazing pictures, I'm doing all of this. And I just couldn't get people to give me actual money. So, you know, free hotels, amazing, you know, that saved me a lot of money, but I never got any free flights, zero. Except for the South American Tourism Board flew me to South Africa, South African Tourism Board. Other than that, I never had a free flight besides me using my points. I paid for every single plane ticket. I took 170 flights in 2019 and like 150 in 2018, you know? So that's that's the other side of it. And now, sure, now I'm getting my roses and I'm working with more brands, but it was just really frustrating for me because I made the assumption, the poor assumption, that I would be able to get more sponsors on board.
0: It's infuriating to hear some of these details. And especially because, um, I mean, the the incredible factor is on your side. Uh, Less than 300 people have done what you've done. Less than 30 women have have done this. And you were the first black woman Mm -hmm. to do it and the whole while sharing not just every aspect of your trip, but almost every aspect of your life. Mm -hmm. And I think I think that the interesting thing may be what happens next. I mean, this has been a really interesting year and how brands are trying to um, cover for their lack of diversity. I don't know if your conversations seem to have changed because you've always uh, you've always seemed to come at this knowing your value. Mm -hmm. Like your negotiation with Four Seasons really evolved and you worked with the company to not just uh, pay lip service, but to authentically embrace what it means to expand um their corporate culture and mm-hmm. so i'm wondering if you can speak a little bit about that um talking about how important it is to um how, how important it is for these companies to change um but still it seems that the burden is still on people of color to move that envelope forward
1: mm-hmm. for sure um You know, 2020 was such an interesting year because watching white people realize that racism is still alive and well was incredibly fascinating to watch. Like June last year was just interesting. I mean, I I don't even know. I was just so fascinated by what was happening. And I think, you know, I've always been open with brands, but it definitely allowed me to be even more open. With brands around racism, because I never really went to brands talking about racism. I, why would I do that? Uh, but it allowed me to have a lot of really frank conversations. And, you know, we see the brands that were listening and have taken things on board and have brought people in to help them change, you know? And and those are the brands that I'm still interested in working with. So any brand that I work with, you should know that they really care and value people that look like me because otherwise I would not be there. There are brands and, and PR companies who I split ways with because it just had to happen. Um, but yeah, I think Four Seasons is an amazing example. They had a blind spot and they didn't know. And I think so much of what we've learned is that Because these spaces are so overwhelmingly white, it's not that there's always malice behind the exclusion. Sometimes it's pure ignorance. And now granted, do I feel like carrying that burden? No. But what I do know is that I am in a certain position With certain brands to have that conversation with them and to help them. Because me helping that brand isn't helping me, it's helping everyone that looks like me and it's helping the work that they're gonna do in the future. And I think it's really important for Black creatives and really all Black people in every realm of America to stand up. You know, there's a lot of fear around standing up, but I feel like what happened last year really gave us an opportunity to state our grievances and to keep the pressure on people to really make the change that they should be making.
0: I wanted to move into our our lightning round. Um, I call this truth or truth. We go light after we go deep. Okay. little drum roll. You are a champion of reducing our use of plastic. As you have traveled the world, is there one image that sits with you that helps you keep reminding folks this is in your own backyard, this is in your own interest? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, it was definitely um, a drone shot in Nauru, which is one of the least visited countries in the world, in the middle of the South Pacific, a tiny, tiny island. And we thought that the dark spots we were seeing were coral reef or something else to look at underwater and come to find out it was plastic bottles um and other waste that had been building up under the water and that really is what had a huge impact on me and made me commit more to trying to reduce my use of single use plastic but also convincing other people as well
0: you cut your hair almost every few weeks and uh you have Gone to barbershops all over the world. I'm thinking of an image of you in Myanmar getting your haircut. <laughs> Where is the, in your opinion, the best uh, place to get your haircut?
1: Oh, okay. So, okay. Two of my favorite haircuts one was in Nepal. That head massage was <laughs> so good. <laughs> A massage, and the other one was in sudan but the guy was turkish and okay he gave me an amazing facial after the haircut
0: so were you in the chair or laying down
1: i was like in the chair but the chair would like lay back a bit
0: and did he use steam like in a scrub was it relaxing what was what made it so great
1: he was using like hot towels like uh-huh. steaming hot towels and it was just, you know, just the pampering. It was so nice. And it was unexpected. So that might have made it better.
0: I think that um women have categorically missed out on the steaming hot towel experience that have been preserved for men in barbershops. And I think mm-hmm. that should really be a twenty first century goal.
1: Right. For sure. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um,
0: when do you plan to get your scupa certification?
1: Oh, my gosh. That so was derailed. I... <laughs> and
0: I'm so I'm still really sorry about that. I'm sorry. Oh, your no, scuba okay. certification it, it was, was derailed.
1: It was a funny story. Um, so I actually was in Maui uh, in November of 2020. And I did all of the diving that I needed oh, to do. Oh,
0: congratulations. Yes.
1: But I still have to finish the electronic test. So I'm like probably 30% done. Okay. So do we want something...
0: us? should we set a date here on the women?
1: Can we please? Please, yeah, I'll be your accountability done. buddy. Thank you.
0: Yeah, you're welcome. I'll send you um I'll send you pictures of your own pictures to inspire you.
1: <laughs> yes, like I should Okay, let's say by let's say by the end of the month, I'll be done with
0: it. Why don't we say by March 15th?
1: Okay. Okay, yes, March 15th. That's 2 okay. months before my 37th birthday. Okay. Then I'll go diving somewhere for my birthday.
0: I love that so in preparation for this interview i have worn uh, my jewelry from around the world Mm -hmm. i am wearing a ring from argentina 2010 and kenya my necklace 2019 and you have dislodged some memories that were like in the pockets of my brain and i just made like a short list for you um Mm -hmm. An eight-hour layover in Amman, Jordan on my way to Bangkok. I had the best shawarma I've ever had. A taxi driver dropped us off at the corner of a roundabout and then came back an hour later and insisted I have a skinny cigarette of his. Um, (laughs) Even though I don't smoke, I just like pretended. And I sat in the front seat and I was just like, this is the best. Um, Having food poisoning that I thought would kill me in Colombia. Random sex in Panama that was like the best ever. Uh, making new friends in Berlin.
1: I love it. I love it.
0: So these are some of the things that, you know, really um, kind of bubbled to the surface for me. And I've been thinking about how being able to travel solo, making that breakthrough. I think that's one of the things that you really show and that so many people when they're writing you, they're not just asking you for tips, but they're asking you to maybe shake them out of their procrastination or fear. Mm
1: -hmm. Oh, that's absolutely what it is. The questions people ask me, I'm like, you don't need any answers from me. You want me to tell you it's okay, go do it. You know, that's why people are asking um, me questions. And like you said, that procrastination and that fear, and I can't help you get past that. Um, All I can do is show you what I'm doing to live my best life. Um, And I really think To your point, like that comes across and it has changed people's life just because I'm out here living footloose and fancy. (laughs) Um, And it's really gotten a lot of people out of out of their comfort zones. You know, like I've had older women, retired women on Facebook. That's how you know it's real because it's on Facebook. Tell me (laughs) um, that they took their first solo trip because of me. Like what? I was just looking the other day. Two point eight percent of my following is 65 and older. Wow. And I'm just like, what? That's so cool to me. You know, where did she go? Um, she did something in the U.S. It was domestic, uh, but she was an older lady, and you know, I think the older you get, the more fear you have to do something new. And and there's just been so many older people who've told me that I've even affected them. Which, like, how is this even happening? It's so amazing.
0: Thank you so much for your time, your generosity of spirit, and for keep inspiring us even when it gets exhausting. Oh,
1: thank you. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Get inspiration, travel tips, or book a trip with Jessica. You can find her on Instagram at the Catch Me If You Can. This is a production by Rose Reed. Adrienne Lilly mixed this episode. Special thanks to Aminatu Sal, who introduced me and Jessica, and you can find her podcast, Call Your Girlfriend. We'll be back in two weeks with a special for International Women's Day. And if you like the show, tell a friend or leave us a review. It really helps other people find us.